0: Um, Okay, first, we're going to start off by reading the story of Jesus' birth in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke. So if you want to open up your Bible, you can open up your Bible. If you want to pull it up on your phone, you can pull it up on your phone, or you can just follow along right up here. We're going to go ahead and read it together. All right, ready? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, just the other night, actually, it was last night, last night, one of my daughters was telling me that there was something really special about a wrapped gift, a wrapped gift, that when it's in a gift bag, it's just not as special. There's, and, and I think it comes from the reality that in our family, well, me, I wrap most things in gift bags because, guys, come on. You shove it in a bag, you put some tissue paper, you're done. But if you've got to wrap it, it's like you've got to cut the right size. You've got to fold the paper. You've got to crease it just right. It's a lot, lot harder. Now, I wanted to get a sense, does anybody else like, does anybody else have a preference? Does anybody like wrapped gifts better than bagged gifts? Wrapped gifts better than bad gifts? Okay, anybody that's bagged gifts over wrapped gifts? No one. Okay, we got two. Thank you. you. And is there anybody that's like, I really don't care, a gift is a gift, just give it to me. Okay, great, great, okay. Does anybody prefer to wrap in a gift bag? That's psychopathic. All right, we have feelings about all these things I never, I never knew. Now, when I was reading this passage in the Gospel of Luke, I was, I was really struck by this idea of Mary wrapping her child. And I wonder if Mary held on to this wrapped baby in her arms, if she recalled the many names that the prophet Isaiah had spoken about this tiny one that she was now holding on to. Was she just so overwhelmed by the experiences of the travel and the night and not having a place and just giving birth to her first baby? Or was she actually recalling some of the prophecies that had been given about this baby that she knew that she was holding on to? Over the past couple weeks, we've been looking at some of those prophecies in the book of Isaiah, and we've been talking about the kingdom that this baby king was going to inaugurate. And one of them was Isaiah chapter 9. Now, we looked at the beginning part of Isaiah chapter 9 last week, but I wanted to look at the second half of it. I wanted to look at some of the names that this baby king was given by Isaiah. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah says, This child, for, this, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so I just wonder, as Mary held that baby wrapped in her arms, was she thinking, yeah, this is the Wonderful Counselor? Was she thinking, this is the Mighty God, this is the Everlasting Father, this is the Prince of Peace? And I want to look at those words for a second because I want you in a minute to really think about which, which one of these do you really need to experience this Christmas? Do you need to experience God as the wonderful counselor or the mighty God or the everlasting father or the prince of peace? Which do you need to grab onto that wrapped gift and hold onto and receive this Christmas? So this idea of the wonderful counselor. A counselor is somebody that has a, is a, is, has a lot of wisdom. And wonderful is one of those like throwaway words, right? It's this word that's just like great or tremendous or like it's wonderful, wonderful. That's wonderful, wonderful, right? It really doesn't have a lot of meaning except for the fact that it's a word that is supposed to be like the, the wisdom is so great that it inspires wonder. It inspires awe. It's not just really, really, really good. It's that this baby is the source of all wisdom. That any other wisdom that you could gain from learning something or taking a class or or developing a skill, all of that comes back to this little baby that was born. That from this baby, he is the source of wisdom. He's the one who knows what to do and what to not do. He's the one that can guide and direct us on where we're supposed to go and what we're not supposed to, where we're not supposed to go. He's the one who can give us wisdom about the posture that we're supposed to take. He is the baby that is the source of all wisdom. He's the ultimate source and all other streams come from him. He is the wonderful counselor. But Isaiah also calls him the mighty God, right? Which is strange because he's this little baby that now needs his bottom wiped when he goes potty. But he is the mighty God. And it's mighty in the Hebrew actually means he's the hero. He's the heroic God. He's the champion God who overcomes overwhelming odds and yet is always victorious. He comes into a world of darkness, and he saves his friends. He saves the town. He is the mighty God. Isaiah calls him the everlasting father. Not only is he just not a hero and a champion, he's also your dad. He's the one who brings you into the family. He's the one who loves you and supports you. He's not just this demigod that's far off and far away. He's the top dog that is your dad, and he brings you in. He gets you. He advocates for you. He loves you. He's your everlasting father, and he's also your prince of peace. Peace is one of those words for us that just kind of feels like stillness, but in the original language, it was this peace that was shalom, It wasn't just this absence of conflict, it was the presence of flourishing in every single way. It means in every area that you could flourish, you would. It meant that anything that messed up peace, like death or destruction or judgment or injustice, that all of that stuff, when the Prince of Peace was reigning, came to an end. It means that one day when the prince reigns as king in his kingdom in all of its full, that means full economic, spiritual, and physical flourishing for everyone. We're not just in, he's not just interested in our behavior or making sure that you go to church every Sunday. That this baby king is actually interested in every aspect of your life and the world around you that he wants to make sure that it is the end of injustice, the end of violence, of war, of poverty, of disease, of death, because he is the prince of peace. This is the king that was born. This is the one that's come, and this is the kingdom that he is bringing under his control and his command. Now, I have a question for you. Out of all of these gifts that this sweet baby King Jesus has come to bring which is the one that you need which is the one that you most hope for that when you are given this wrapped baby you will then see oh my gosh he is my source of wisdom or is it that you really really need the mighty god the champion the hero the rescuer or are you like no no, no i need more than anything the everlasting father I need the one that's going to bring me in, the one that's going to tell me I am deeply loved. Or do you need the Prince of Peace, the one who ends death and disease and injustice and destruction? Who is it that you would like to receive on this Christmas? All right? So this is the question that I'm going to have you talk about with the people around you. Now, for some of you that are joining us, maybe for the first or second time, you're like, wait, we really have to talk to people? Yes, you really have to talk to people. This is because we are—you guys are laughing because you're like, yeah, I know, I know this spiel, I know this feel." This is because we're the body of Christ, and talking about these things, there's something about talking about it that actually— forces us to think about it rather than just being this passive recipient of these words that I'm throwing out in front of you. Saying it and voicing it and having to think about it makes you really think, what is it that I am? What is it that I do need to receive this Christmas? What version of God, what aspect or character trait of God do I really need? All right? So which of these four, which gift would you most like to receive this Christmas season? God as the wonderful counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, or the Prince of Peace. All right? So turn to the people that you met a little bit ago, the people right around you. Hopefully it's bigger than just the group you came with. And talk to them. Which is it? Which would you like to receive? Uh, It's on the screen. Uh Uh-huh. All right, 30 more seconds. all right we're gonna bring it back whole group i always find that preparing a christmas message is really hard because how much can you say about a story that probably people know so well this is probably the story that people know better than any other story in the whole all the stories in the bible we know the jesus story it was on the peanuts christmas right like we know this one And I have a feeling that you already know, you've heard in some song that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the mighty God, the prince of peace. You know all of these words, you know these names of God. And so I just was like, yeah, but we know it, but it still doesn't really always change anything for us, right? Like, if we really knew that Jesus has come and he's the wonderful counselor, the source of all wisdom, why are we still anxious? Why are we still worried about what should I do? How should I spend my money? Where should I move? All of those things. He is the source of wisdom, right? Like, if we really understood that the baby king that was born 2,000 years ago is the everlasting father, then all of this worry about materialistic everything, why are we worried? We know the everlasting father that has pulled us in to the fold, that advocates on our behalf and has the possibility and the probability and the love for us that would provide all that we need. How could we still be materialistic if we know this is the everlasting father? And if we know that he's the mighty God, like, why do we still struggle with low self-esteem? Why do we still struggle with, like, low self-worth? Why, why, we know that the mighty God came down to earth to be with us. We know these things. And so the question becomes, like, if we know these things, why aren't we different? And I really wrestled with this whole thing. Why? Why can we know it and it not really change us? Why can we know it but then be like, okay, but yes, where are the Christmas cookies? Right? And as I was reflecting on it, I think it really has everything to do with our praise and our worship. Oftentimes, we reduce God to a helper Right, like he's going to help us with our problems or he's going to help us with our finances or he's going to help us pass this test or he's going to help us get this promotion or God, help, help my body be healed from this ailment, right? Like, we think of God as the helper that can give us stuff, like the Santa Claus that's going to grant us things. But to praise and worship God is something totally different. It isn't about what God has helped you with or even what God could potentially do for you. Praise and worship is just about loving something for what it is or someone for who they are. It's, it's simply like praising something because you enjoy it. That's the beginning and the end of it. Now, I know that when we're in the context of, like, God and religion and we start talking about praise and worship, it gets kind of weird because we're like, how do you praise and worship something? Like, do you, like, bow down to it? Do we have to all be kneeling? Like, is there clapping involved or is it okay if we have a gentle sway? Like, what truly requires praise and worship. But the reality is, is in our everyday lives, praise and worship is actually a very normal thing. We naturally praise the things that we enjoy, right? We praise songs that we love, like Justin Beaver, Under the Mistletoe, like I'm loving it right now, right? We praise those things. We praise our favorite restaurants, which is Not Chipotle, any of the others being said, yes, okay? We praise our favorite restaurants. The movies we watch over and over again. We go to people and we tell them, dude, did you see this movie? It was so good. And one of the good movies that you've all seen recently was? You can fill in the blank. Avatar, Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands, blast from the past. Yeah, Avatar, right? These good movies, we praise them. There's, if there's a book we enjoy, we tell people about it. If we have a place that we visited that we're like, you, we loved it, we tell people, you've got to go to this place. It's so good, we can't help it. When we love something, when we've enjoyed something, praise for whatever that thing is just flows out of our mouths. And if we enjoy the presence of God, praise will naturally flow out of our mouths you don't need to be encouraged to praise something you love you don't need to be guilted to praise something you love you don't need to be coached into praising something you love it just naturally flows out of you we naturally praise things that we enjoy but what's fascinating is that when we praise those things it's like we enjoy them even more Right. So, for example, uh, last month, saw the movie Black Panther, loved it. But anytime I tell somebody about why I loved it, why it was so good, it's like I'm back in that moment again. As I'm praising it, I get to enjoy it once more. Right? When we praise something, it forms like this praise loop that we just get caught up in. We get to relive a piece of that joy that was brought to us when we experienced it. We, we praise something, and the more we delight in that thing, the more joy we have, and the more joyous we have, the more we praise that thing again and again and again and again. And it becomes this loop of praise that just pours out of us. And we benefit the joy from experiencing and giving that thing praise. Now, I think that that's one of the reasons why the wise men were so eager to find Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, we're told that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? we saw his star in the we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him now the magi or the wise men are looking for the baby jesus and it wasn't so that they could get something from him It wasn't they were like, hey, newborn infant king or three-year-old king, however you want to do the timeline, whatever it is. They didn't go to the baby and say, like, okay, solve all my problems. It wasn't go to the baby and make me wealthy. He was very poor. They knew maybe that one day this baby would somehow, in some way, save the world, but they didn't know how. Now, one day this baby would grow into a man who would feed and heal people. He would teach him amazing lessons and lo- about love and forgiveness. This baby would take on the sins of the world by dying on a cross. And this baby would one day rise from the dead to rescue and save and redeem the entire world. But so far, this baby's done nothing and is not capable of doing any of that. So when the wise men are seeking him, they're not asking him to do anything. What they have is simply this offering of praise. They're like, we want to see the king so that we could see and experience the joy and be in the presence of this child who is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. They wanted to bask in the glory of that moment. They wanted to enjoy this baby. They wanted to praise him. And then they wanted to tell Joseph how awesome this baby was. And they wanted to tell Mary how amazing her child was. And they probably turned to all the animals and were like, you lucky, lucky dogs, you You get to be in the presence of this baby. Probably everyone they saw after they met with that baby, they told them how everlasting and royal and mighty and wonderful this baby is. They want to worship and praise him because this was a baby like no other baby. It was a baby like nothing they'd ever seen. And they delighted in him. And they wanted to worship him. And the more they delighted in him, the more joy it gave, the more praise that poured out. And the more praise that poured out, the more joy they received. And the more joy they received, the more delighted they were. And the more delighted they were, the more praise that they poured forth and so on and so forth. The truth is that if we want to experience more of Jesus as the wonderful counselor or the mighty God or the everlasting father or the prince of peace, we have to start by praising him as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. And as we do that, we will begin to see him more and more and more in those particular ways. If we think that the difference between those who praise God a lot and those who don't praise God a lot has to do with the circumstances of their life, we would be wrong. Like sometimes we think that people who praise must just have better lives. That they must have more praiseworthy things to do. And those who don't praise, they must just not have a lot to praise God for. But the reality is, is that praise pours forth from those who focus more on what is praiseworthy in their life. It doesn't mean that they don't have laments or sad things or hard things that they go through. It's that they don't allow the laments to drown out the praises. If you look at the Psalms, which we've looked at them before, the Psalms are filled with laments. They're filled with these sad prayers and these sad poems. They, but David, who's the author of many of them, don't doesn't... David doesn't let the laments drown out the praise. There's sometimes where he's lamenting the state of his life and how he's like, everything's falling apart. And you just read it and you're like, man, David's going to be stuck there for a while. Like, that looks tough and he's not, he's not moving. Like, he's going to be there for a while. And yet in the next verse, like, David's like, but I will continue to praise you, my God. I will sing your praises on the mountaintops. He just has this habit of praise in his heart. Now at first, oftentimes praising God is a conscious decision that we have to make. Sometimes life sucks and we're in a season of lament and we have to make these very conscious, disciplinary actions to say, I don't feel like praising, but I'm going to do it anyways. When we're in the middle of these seasons of loss and pain, that are really, really hard to deal with. We have to make a conscious decision to continue to praise. That doesn't mean we praise the pain, I lost my job, hallelujah, nope, we don't have to do that. That doesn't feel right, that's not good. We don't have to praise the pain, we are praising in the middle of the pain. That no matter what or how painful, there's always something praiseworthy in our lives. God is always at work. There's always something praiseworthy that we can praise God for. And the more we praise him, the more joyous we are. The more joyous things we experience, the more we can praise God. And slowly we move from this uh, conscious decision to praise God to this natural, unconscious overflow of praise. And the praise goes from unconscious to an automatic response. Now, tonight what we're going to do is we're actually going to take some time to praise the king who was born 2,000 years ago. Now, for some of us, this might be a regular practice that we engage in. We're like, no, 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 I know how to praise. I know how to pour forth praise for who God is. But for others of us, it might be something that's going to require a little bit more of a conscious, prompted decision for us to praise God. In fact, we may not even know where to start And so we're going to go back to those uh, names of God, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And where I want to invite you to start is to just go back to the name that you were like, hey, I really need to experience God in this way. And I want you to start experiencing him in that way by simply praising him for being that thing. Praising God for being the Wonderful Counselor the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, or the Prince of Peace. Now, the way that we're going to do this is we're actually going to go back in our little groups, and uh, some one person from your group is going to come up, and you're actually going to grab a plate with the bread and the cup. Now, this bread and this cup is, is what we call communion or Eucharist. It represents Jesus' broken body and his poured-out blood. That when he becomes a man, he will hang on a cross and he will break his body, he will pour out his blood for the sins and redemption of the whole world. But that's not the end of the story. Three days later, Christ comes back from the dead. He brings back life from death. And so when we partake in communion, in this act of sharing the bread and the cup, we have this opportunity to replay and remember what it is that Christ has done for us. Although Christmas is often this joyous, merriment time, it really is just we're excited because there's a man that will one day grow up and die for us. And we want to hold on to that in the middle of this, that he loved us so much that he would die and lose his life for us. So what you're going to do is one person from your group is going to come and take the plate with the bread and the cup, and I'm going to give you some time to just... Praise God for being the wonderful counselor and mighty God, everlasting father, or the prince of peace. And what that's going to look like is in your circle, you can just start talking to God, start praying to him. That if you said, hey, I really need to experience him as the wonderful counselor, I'm going to invite you to say out loud to the group, you can keep your eyes open, but you're going to say out loud to the group, God, I recognize that you are the source of all wisdom. That's how simple praise is. God, I recognize that you know what to do in every situation, and I need you right now. And then maybe the next person will go, and they need to experience God as the Prince of Peace. And so you're going to take some time to worship him as the Prince of Peace. Uh, God, I know that you came here to end death and destruction, and that's what I need right now. So be the God who ends death and destruction. And once you've gone around the circle, then each of you, you're going to take communion together. You can rip off a piece of the bread. You can dip it in the cup, and then you can eat it as a reminder that Christ has come to redeem and rescue you. Christ has come as the king to save the world. All right, we got it? All right, so everyone go ahead and grab a plate. Each group, not everyone, each group have somebody send them forward to grab a plate. And you can begin that process. All right, let's pray and uh, close. Father God, we are so grateful that your son is born on, on as we celebrate this night. We are so grateful that he is the king and we desire to pour forth praise so that we may continue to rejoice in all that you are. We are so grateful for you. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.